0: You are listening to Lord Have Mercy, a podcast about God, sex, and the Bible. I'm your host, Crystal Cheatham. Chris Stroop is an evangelical seeking to create space for other evangelicals and exiles from other forms of religious fundamentalism. He writes, Reclaiming and sharing our evangelical stories will serve both to foster healing and to raise awareness of the threat to democracy and human rights posed by theocratic views and of the real human harm caused all too often by conservative evangelicalism. And now, Chris. Twitter seems to be the spot, right? That's basically how we met, too.
1: Yeah, Twitter has been making lots of great connections for me.
0: Twitter is, I was telling my friend, uh, she is so funny, uh, but she's only on Instagram. Mm -hmm. And I was like, dude, Twitter is like, you're standing on a stage with your back to the audience talking to yourself. And every (laughs) once in a while, you'll hear like it erupt in laughter. But really, it's just like, you're just talking to yourself. And sometimes you're really angry and sometimes, you know, you're you're just making fun of yourself, but you know, every once in a while you realize that you're in a community with people and you're like, Wow, this is pretty cool. I love Twitter so much.
1: <laughs> yeah. Like I used to also feel like most of my tweets were just like out into the void and Yeah. Like dust in the wind, but <laughs> You're just talking <laughs> then to yourself. Like I, I blew up and so like almost all my tweets get some interactions, like I don't think I tweet anything that doesn't get at least, like, a like or a retweet, you know. Mm-hmm. Usually it's more than one.
0: Uh-huh. You Twitter famous. <laughs> Twitter
1: famous.
0: <laughs> Chris, I think so, there's a lot of stuff that people don't know about you. Or maybe it's just me. Um, Chris, where are you from?
1: Uh, so I was born up in a very small town in northern Indiana where uh, oh, most, people <laughs> most people who... Um, who work some kind of job are also, like, farmers, or at least they used to be. Okay. Um, I was there till I was about four and a half. Then my family moved down to Fishers, Indiana, which is a north suburb of Indianapolis.
0: Okay.
1: And, and um, so from ages five to, I think, seven or so, we were in our first house there. It had a really big backyard that was pretty great, except that you could always hear the highway noise.
0: Yeah. And- <laughs> That'll kill it.
1: My mom had an old leopard print bathrobe that she didn't wear anymore, and she made me a leopard suit out of it. Shut up. Yeah, it was pretty awesome.
0: She was like, (laughs) you're going to be queer whether you like it or not. (laughs) (laughs) Well, (laughs) I don't think that's
1: how she was thinking about it. (laughs) Because when I told her I'm queer, she cried, but, you know... Those were
0: tears of joy. I don't think that you really understood what was happening. Obviously, <laughs> <laughs> no, no. You
1: know, I used to come home from grad school and watch Dancing with the Stars with mom, and um, I remember one season that she like really seemed to find that Chaz Bono had this very positive story because he was on the show, and she was like really uh, interested in him and kind of pulling for him, mm-hmm. which is certainly interesting. Um, but then my mom did the like Chick-fil-A free speech, everyone buy a chicken sandwich for hating gay people day. Ooh.
0: ooh. <laughs> I have a story. Um, when I first came out, my mom took a couple days just to like, <laughs> I don't know, recover from the whiplash. She said that she thought, cause I have three brothers and she was like, I really thought, I really considered each one of them being gay. Um, But you, Crystal, no, I never thought that. (laughs) And then, and then she needed some time to like kind of like think through it. And her signal of letting me know that she had like processed it and we could talk about it and it was gonna be okay was she asked me what kind of gay I was. She's like, Are you like Ellen DeGeneres or Chaz Bono? (laughs) And I was like, Oh my God, Mom! (laughs) that is so different um i definitely identify as a as a female bodied woman like yeah but yeah it took it took a while it took a while
1: (laughs) see and my thing is that i've mainly always had some awkwardness with uh masculinity or just not really feeling like um it applies to me particularly and that's something that i couldn't articulate through childhood and i didn't in childhood, or even like my teenage years or twenties, like noticeably develop crushes on men, but that is something that has happened in my thirties. Mm-hmm. Um, though it has, I haven't stopped also developing crushes on women. You know, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, there was always I always felt uncomfortable in my own skin. I always felt different somehow. Yeah. You know, and speaking of costumes, like that leopard costume, I used to climb up on top of the swing set and like lie down on top of it and hope that passing cars on the highway behind it would think I was a real leopard and maybe they would like call 911 or something.
0: (laughs) You were hoping to cause a disturbance in your reclaimed pajamas. That
1: is I used to to tell my, ask my dad if he thought people driving by would look at it and think I was a real leopard and he was like oh yeah they're gonna think (laughs) (laughs) it. In that house too I also have memories of like I would take, like, plastic dinosaurs, or one was inflatable, and I would put them, like, in front of the bushes in the front of the house and take pictures with my Polaroid camera and tell people that there were still real dinosaurs today. Oh,
0: my God.
1: <laughs> but I loved, I loved wearing costumes, and I had this, like, weird, irrepressible creativity. But I think it's very telling that I, I loved wearing costumes, and, like, I loved Halloween because you could wear a costume and you could be someone else. Yeah. You know? And I got into theater.
0: So you were like this really creative <laughs> young kid. Did Were you that imaginative when it came to the Bible? Did the Bible seem like <laughs> alive to you with all the stories of Jonah and the whale and Noah and all that stuff?
1: I mean, I thought about those stories. Um, I don't know. Maybe I kind of took them for granted in some ways because they were just there
0: yeah. You know,
1: like these these are the things that you have to believe and this is what it means. I mean I I remember myself uh sure, I, I read it. I remember one time I was reading a King James Bible and um, I came across the word harlot, and Oof. I didn't know what it meant. What
0: what's what word? <laughs> harlot. Harlot. I love yeah. that word actually.
1: So I ran around the house shouting harlot because I thought this is like <laughs> such a cool fun word that I just found. I don't know what
0: it means, but Oh my gosh. <laughs> And your mom was like "You can't say that
1: <laughs> I um I don't exactly remember how my mom and/ or dad responded to that I you know I also used to do things like take a metal kitchen strainer and put it on my head and make a robot voice <laughs> and say fruit flavors coloring eggs I don't know why I did that
0: you <laughs> were so creative actually so was I like I was constantly I think you sound more creative and I was just, I was just violent. And that's, do you have, <laughs> I mean, I have, I had like so many, I had, I have three brothers, like I said, and then I had um, like three more male cousins who were constantly living in our house, if not at our house. And mm. so it was just like me and a bunch of boys and the games that we invented all had to do with creating swords and Mm. fashioning uh slingshot guns and like I don't know building teepees and tree houses and like all that kind of stuff but I I didn't get to do much of the dress up which is Mm. what I'm hearing
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah I mean I guess uh I guess you could you could say that um I have one sister she's a little bit younger than me um sometimes I would play barbies with her but I sort of knew that like I was sorta weird and I wasn't really supposed to, so I would make my Barbies behave in annoying ways to have until she would get really, really fed up with me.
0: I would I remember putting one of my Barbies in the microwave. And that actually ended buying barbies for crystal so i i really appreciated (laughs) that (laughs) (laughs) today
1: did you want more barbies
0: (laughs) no i was just i was so annoyed when i got a barbie because i was like they get action figures they get action figures and trucks and and like nerf guns and i get a fucking barbie i was not happy (laughs) i was pissed
1: Yeah, see, I was never into, like, the truck toys that much. Uh, Well, I was into toy cars for a while as a very small child. But um, action figures, yeah. I had, uh, like, a big collection of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle action figures. Yeah, yeah.
0: That's a huge question because you seem to have this really poignant, clairvoyant take on um, evangelicalism, you know. It started, deconstruction started for me at about the
1: age of 16 and I think, you know, proper uh, deconstruction proper started then when I read the entire Bible through for the first time.
0: Wow, well, that's dedication. Um,
1: There were other sort of things going on. I mean, I remember being uncomfortable in seventh grade. This was a period when we were living in Colorado Springs when it had become like the
0: evangelical
1: center of the United Everything
0: came out of Colorado Springs, Colorado. Like Adventures in Um, Odyssey. I used to love that. Because Focus
1: on the Family had moved there in, I think, 1992, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. From where it had been based in California.
0: I don't want to um, take away from your story, but have you ever actually gone to Focus on the Family? They, they have this whole Odyssey world set up in the basement. Uh, <laughs> and it's like, like they'll lure children there to go play in this underground cave of Adventures in Odyssey. It's uh, really have, cool, but also <laughs> super creepy. <laughs> I can
1: believe that. No, I have, I have not seen that. But... Um, In Colorado Springs, I got to go to public school for half a year in sixth grade because we moved in the middle of the year. Then I wanted to really stay in the public school, but my parents wouldn't let me. And in fact, as is typical with Christian schools, so my mom had then started teaching in Colorado Springs Christian School in the elementary. She's been a Christian school teacher most of my life. And um, the schools demand that you send your kids to their school if you're a teacher there. Um, Okay. So... Yeah, and it used to be they would waive all the tuition, but now usually it's like a discount that increases with seniority, but they expect teachers' kids to attend the Christian schools. That's
0: something,
1: uh, so. Yeah, I really, that's just one of my many uh, complaints about Christian schools. Um, so anyway, I was starting to say, in seventh grade, we had this, like, retreat, which was really should have been called, like, Day of Fear-Mongering, hmm. where um, I forget where they took us, but they... They, of course, separated the boys and the girls, and then basically, like, they gave us a whole bunch of purity culture bullshit, like, don't cheat on your future spouse, Uh uh, so don't go any further than you'd be comfortable, you know, if you're dating someone and you don't think you're going to marry them, don't go any further than you'd be comfortable with, like, doing if you were married to someone in the future who's not that person, which is just so stupid. It Um, is so
0: stupid. (laughs)
1: And then it was basically all about condoms don't work, you guys. Diseases, diseases, diseases. Diseases are terrible. Terrible diseases are coming to get you. And you can get a girl pregnant. And diseases again. And now we would like you to prayerfully consider signing this purity pledge. Mm -hmm. So everyone had to go, like, sit and, you know, emotionally manipulative music is playing. And you had to pray. And, And they told us, like, don't sign this if you don't really mean it. But we were all thinking... Will we get expelled if we don't sign it? Exactly. How were we supposed to know? So we were all coerced into signing purity pledges, and then, yay, the evangelical institutions can push all their numbers of like, look how many kids we got to commit to purity. Yay! (laughs) It was totally their
0: choice. (laughs) Did you have that thing where there's like a, a rose? And they keep tearing off the petals with each sexual encounter that you have. And then there's there's nothing but a stump left to give to your husband. And it was, <laughs> seriously. <laughs> also, I mean, I experienced that also with like the sappy music and all that other shit. And it's like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? This is how you look at sexuality? God I don't damn, remember. That's Hopeless.
1: I don't remember if I ever saw that Rose demonstration, but I do remember some things from, I think it was the first half of sixth grade, we had uh, a program in our school, this was in in Indianapolis, called Creating Positive Relationships, CPR, and (laughs) (laughs) I looked it up recently, it's still around, and it's frightening how many public central Indiana schools this program is using because it is a bullshit purity culture program.
0: Wait, what is it called again?
1: CPR, Creating Positive Relationships.
0: Creating Positive Relationships.
1: What I remember from them is that, you know, they had uh, people submit questions anonymously and then they would address them. But uh, of course, somebody was going to ask like, well, how far can you go with your boyfriend or girlfriend? Um, But instead of like treating that as a normal question, or even maybe like, I mean, obviously, I don't even think that you know okay I guess it can be a valid question in a certain sense like you know if you think of it from the point of view of consent like how ready are you to do what when but of course that's not how they were thinking about it but um but what they did was just basically shame all of us for even thinking about that question they were like because you should be trying to stay as far away from the line as possible not like run up and get as close to it as possible because then you're going to cross it and you're going to you know ruin your purity and feel bad and um so they told us, though, but if you have to have a line, stay away from the underwear zone. I'm not even oh. making this up. They used the phrase the underwear zone. That oh. was hilarious. So it stayed in my head, and um, that's just they, as
0: bad as somebody calling it like anyway. Yeah, there's there's pretty bad things.
1: <laughs> that anything anything that's that typically supposed to be edgy- covered with underwear, you're not allowed to touch. According was this, to this sex ed? It was supposed to be. I mean, I call it fake sex what? ed because.
0: So they because weren't it, even using like the correct terms for male and female genitalia. They were just, yeah, no.
1: it's a fake sex ed program. You wow. know, one of, one of the many abstinence only bullshit purity programs out there. Um, and the other thing I remember from that was, so I don't remember that if they had a rose at any time, I don't think they did, but they did have like this heart and it was like, you know, like zigzag cut apart. It was Velcro mm-hmm. or something that they would put it together and pull it apart and put it together. And they would say that this is like having sex and like, If you have, if if you if you stick your heart half onto somebody else's heart half, and you unstick it enough times, then it's not going to stick anymore.
0: (laughs) This is ridiculous. Yes, it is. You know what's really crazy though, because like
1: still pulling this shit on lots of Central Indiana children.
0: And what does it say to? Young kids, and unfortunately, it happens. But what does it say to those who have been sexually abused? Because it happens all the time. And basically, oh, yeah. what you're saying uh, is that sorry, you're ruined. Like you're <laughs> you're 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 going to be offering your future spouse nothing, even though whatever happened to you wasn't your choice.
1: Yeah, I mean that is of course a uh, a lot of people feel like that. I mean, you see these kinds of stories coming up on evangelical Twitter all the time. That you know, because I was raped. I always felt like you know awful that I didn't have this virginity that I was supposed to offer to my future husband or something. People tell a lot of those stories, um, but uh, gotcha.
0: Sorry, I think it's probably my fault. But were you were you saying that like seeing through all of this bullshit was how you started to like disconnect from the religious teaching?
1: I think that this was these were early examples of some discomfort um yeah. or seeing that some of this just
0: just giant eye rolls you're like, like oh my gosh I mean I mean I don't want to
1: say that I was more uh, enlightened or progressive than I was because I certainly bought all that purity culture stuff mm-hmm. um you know for a good while and it was difficult to unpack and totally reject it later but I think at the same time like the way that we were coerced to sign a purity pledge in 7th grade made me very uncomfortable. Yeah. Um uh, I I think there's just a part of me that is always uncomfortable with authoritarian tactics and practices. Yeah. Um there was also just a part of me that always felt different and I couldn't put my finger on that. And you know, and when people would say that like, you know, you don't fit masculine stereotype X, I would reply uh, to kind of sheepishly well oh, but you know that's true but I'm comfortable with my masculinity but all that ever really meant was just I like girls which was true <laughs> <laughs> yeah. also, also the older I got the more that like I tended to have more female friends than male friends for example and um, so I like girls in general <laughs> most of the time <laughs> I mean okay there are some that I can't stand but
0: you it happens to all of us
1: and I was, I was attracted to women so I didn't have to interrogate too deeply why I felt different, why I loved wearing costumes and getting a chance to be a different person. yeah, you know, And all of that stuff. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I would say that, like, looking back, these are some of the seeds of my further development. Also, in elementary school, my grandma subscribed me to Ranger Rick magazine. Like a, you like it.
0: I don't you're, like,
1: you're, you're smiling.
0: I loved Ranger Rick.
1: <laughs> yeah, Ranger Rick was great. It's like, such a pro-environmentalist magazine with lots of good nature facts and science for kids, published by the National Wildlife Federation, um, Federation or Foundation? Anyway, NWF.
0: (laughs) Federation. (laughs) Let's go Federation. (laughs) It's a Federation of Wildlife. Yeah, the Russian in you is really coming out. (laughs) Um.
1: So, uh, yeah, you know, that taught me about evolution and environmentalism. And at the time, I would be like, okay, we don't believe in this evolution, but this is really interesting. We're going to learn lots of facts about animals and nature. And so I didn't immediately be like, okay, I have to accept evolution. Indeed, that took me into college to really accept, because there was so much pressure not to. There were times when I was leaning toward it, including when I was in public school for the second half of sixth grade, and I got some real sex education, and I got, you know, non-ideologically tainted, indoctrinating science classes, I think that I was leaning toward rejecting uh, young earth creationism, but then I got back into the evangelical indoctrination machine and couldn't avoid it. Um,
0: What do you mean? How did you get sucked back into the doctrine?
1: Because my parents forced me to go to Christian school again.
0: For high school or college?
1: the rest of middle school, so like oh, okay. seventh and eighth grade and high school. No, for college, they let me make my own choice. Um, so yeah, Reading Ranger Rick planted some seeds, if you will, yeah. I think. Plus we also had um, some more distant relatives who provided sort of a different model of living. Like I we, um, one of my grandma's, let's see, how's the relationship, it's not her sister. It's like, but somehow related to my grandma. Um, she and her husband—they're very well educated. He was a high school science teacher. I believe he's retired now. Um, and she is um, really brilliant about literature, and also worked in education in various capacities and editing and things. And. You know, he would tell me that dinosaurs were 65 million years, or he would tell me that, like, Triceratops lived 65 million years ago or something. Uh, He would show me meteor showers. He gave me, like, a Venus's flytrap. And I thought, this is pretty neat. And I would also notice how they could openly disagree with each other about, say, the merits of the Great Gatsby and not have any problem. They could disagree with each other very intensely, (laughs) and it didn't hurt their relationship. Yeah. And we could not do that you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, and then there was my other, uh, relative on my mom's side. It's her first cousin who is a college professor at a small liberal arts college in Indiana. And he turns out to be much more conservative than I am now, but he also, he kind of made the professor life seem attractive. So, um, as I was developing, there was a part of me that like wanted to be a writer, mm-hmm. but I thought, Oh, uh, but I guess, you know, I'll try to become a college professor because that's safer. You know, Hmm. you can still do research, writing, creative work, and have a middle-class life. That turned out to be an absolute lie. (laughs) 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 And so here we are, more or less. Um, And the deconstruction was going on in various ways through that time. I mean, I think that before, I wouldn't call it deconstruction until maybe I was about 16. But before that, there was certainly a lot of cognitive dissonance and discomfort.
0: Yeah, but I, I guess you're still a very spiritual person. I mean it's interesting. Am I that lying that I observe incorrectly? <laughs> I mean, I, I I don't
1: know because I I don't know how much to embrace the language of, of spirituality. I mean, if it doesn't necessarily mean something about metaphysics or like you have to have a particular set of beliefs, um, oh. then but if it means something like a search for human meaning and connection through community and yeah. creativity, okay, I'm there. But like, I don't believe in karma. I don't believe in popular providentialist sentiments like everything happens for a reason or mm-hmm. when a door closes, a window opens. You know, yeah. I think probably after we die, there's nothing. Or maybe everything repeats because time is a
0: flat circle. <laughs> well, I mean, when I'm talking about spirituality and when... Other th- There's so much tied to it. I think that spirituality is a spectrum and we all are grappling with it in one way or another, you know? And Mm -hmm. big picture spirituality forces us to um, come to terms with our humanity and our uh, eventual deaths, you know, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. our mortality. But I think small picture, like you said, spirituality... um, brings us together creates community um, allows us to have places and moments of peace in our own just like cluttered minds you know Mm -hmm. and um, I don't know I sensed that there was still a lot of that in your work when I reached out to you and asked you to do a devotional what was that like for you
1: uh, I, you know, uh, I think you forgot, but the first time you reached out to me for that was like a year before the second time when yeah. you actually talked me into doing it, which I'm, which I'm glad <laughs> that you, <laughs> which I'm glad that you did, but you had asked me before. And I think I said, I don't know if I'm the right kind of person for that because I don't really have any metaphysical beliefs you know yeah um but then you told me that it could be a broader thing it could be a secular thing and i think in the way that you define spirituality then i can be said to be a spiritual person because through the humanities and through engagement with music and art i am very interested in exploring what it means to be human how we should relate to each other ethically and how we should relate to you know bigger picture issues of um humanity, life and death, mortality, uh, social problems. And so if, if being spiritual means that, but, uh, I guess you can say that I am. And I also, you know, I don't, I don't write off the possibility of some kind of spiritual existence. You know, I think that, um, the hard problem of consciousness is still a hard problem philosophically. And, you know, whether... That, as Kant and others after him thought, reflects a kind of um, spiritual reality through these a priori categories that we seem to have, that someone like Steven Pinker would call like, the language instinct, for mm-hmm. example, um, whether that reflects uh, some kind of grand design or some kind of existence outside this plane, or whether that simply uh, evolved you know, it's it's still it's something meaningful and striking and important. Yeah. Uh, confusing, strange, wonderful, and um, mm. so you know, so I, don't, you, I don't I don't I don't entirely rule it out. I just I think that dogma is extremely dangerous. And dogma so, is
0: fucking dangerous. I <laughs> would I would agree. Um, would you identify with being agnostic? Yeah, that is how I describe myself. Yeah. Without um, there, there's no narrative. There is. You don't have to necessarily settle on a narrative. It's just, you know, open to possibility.
1: I call myself a non-religious agnostic because mm. uh, I want to make it clear that religion doesn't do it for me and that, you know, yeah. well, I want to be respectful and, and work with uh, religious people who, um, you know, are capable of pursuing the common good with people who are different from mm-hmm. them and respect their their choice to, uh, to be religious. Um, I can't kind of escape the thought that organized religion, on the whole, seems to do more harm than good. You know, so that's <sighs> where I am
0: currently. Yeah, currently, it just it is it is really tough. And honestly, I don't know if I would have come to the same conclusion about organized religion had I not matriculated out of the uh, the rhetoric because of my orientation. You know. Mm-hmm. I think it would have taken me a lot longer, if at all. I don't mm-hmm. know. Organize, organized religion is it's really hard to to um to stomach. So I think we agree. <laughs> we agree. Yeah, there. I mean, you know, so I don't go out of my way to bash it
1: constantly because I just think that's bad behavior. Because yeah. I believe, <laughs> because I
0: believe <laughs> in pluralism. You're like, bitch, I'm a gentleman. So
1: <laughs> sometimes I call out atheist assholes like Uh, I had this idea for a blog post, like uh, a satirical blog post that I may do. So here's a little preview if I actually get my shit together and do this one about the Stepford atheists. Like, is someone turning our atheists into robots? Because they have the same talking points.
0: And they're always like so angry.
1: (laughs) Yeah, they jump into a thread that has nothing to do with what they want to get on a soapbox about. And then they're like, why are you talking about religion at all? You're debating pink unicorns. I made a bingo card. to put that Ooh. in one of the spaces. <laughs> debating pink unicorns or just debating it unicorns. Sounds like a
0: Cards Against Humanity card. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, I guess. Well, you're not gonna offend me because I think I'm, I'm, <laughs> pretty impenetrable at this point, Chris. <laughs> pretty, uh, I would say, elephant skinned when it comes to this stuff. Um, but what do you think about the Bible?
1: Mm-hmm. So I look at the Bible as literature, and I find that there are some parts that I really like, some oh, that parts i not too
0: much, I some
1: parts that. I am fairly indifferent to, and some parts that I really hate. Yeah, <laughs> and, and um, you know, I've come to the point where I have the freedom to look at it that way. I find the Bible still something that's very much worth engaging with because it has shaped so much uh, culture and history.
0: Yeah, you know,
1: and literature. And you really can't be literate about literature if you don't know. I know, right? references. Yeah. Uh, so when atheists enter threads and say completely irrelevant things like. You know, why are you talking about the Bible at all? I find that incredibly sort of ignorant sort of arrogance that they're displaying. Uh, because even if you can argue, as Valerie Tirico recently did, that as a book, the Bible is a bad book, um, you know, it's still an, it's still an important book. Oh. And I mean, it's not, a, it's not necessarily a bad book either. But I think there are certain parts that, you know, they don't really speak to modern audiences very well and and it's not exactly i mean it's only a coherent whole because we've decided that it's a coherent whole you know but there's a lot of stuff in there that's just it's really could be just categorized as very different stuff and obviously you know you you take the the pentateuch or the torah and that is treated very differently in judaism than it is in, in christianity for example uh but you know i mean of course christians um like the 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 ones who wanted to impose order and work with the empire decided that as part of the canon what we have in our old testament and everything else that we have in the bible is part of the canon and i think that was a um i want to say arbitrary but really more it was sort of a political decision or series of decisions that was made and we didn't get the bible that we have now as far as i'm aware from uh, i think the consensus is still that it was sometime in the fifth century Mm -hmm. that um you know the Bible as our current Bible came together, and of course the Orthodox Bible is not quite exactly the same. Like it has the Psalms numbered differently, mm-hmm. and the Catholic Bible has the Apocrypha, even though it's still like it is the Apocrypha and it's not given the same authority. But yeah. they put it in the Bible, and Protestants don't. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, it, so.
0: it, it's all I guess. Uh, You have a very academic way of of like just of looking at it. And I wish that I were able to alight onto that step because where I'm at, I'm just I'm still so enthralled with the with the passion of it because, Mm -hmm. you know, I have not been I still I know for me and. I'm glad that we get to talk about this without getting mad at each other. Like, I know that amazing, God is... right? It is. It is, it is right? It's amazing that you could write for a Bible app. That's what's amazing. It was like, it's
1: crazy. I'm really glad you invited me. I really, that was that was really, uh, for me, a very valuable and meaningful exercise at the end of the day. And, and it wasn't easy. And but, I
0: really wish that we were able to get the chat going. But um, we've asked you to submit again. And hopefully in September, when that comes out, we can try it again. But, sure. Um, I was just gonna say that God is very real for me. God is God is everywhere for me, and in those um, self-defined spiritual moments, like I feel like God is present in that, in community, in the love mm-hmm. we share with mm-hmm. one another. Even I mean, man, I could just go on and on. Um, but because God is so real and so present, like I am not able to look at the Bible from from like a very crisp scientific perspective. You know, even just taking in all of the history of the world, like mm-hmm. it's just like but this to me it's still such a precious book that has been able to inform um the way that I process my feelings, the way that I relate to other people, how I'm supposed how I know that I'm supposed to act as just mm-hmm. like basic human being, you know? Mm-hmm. Like you mm-hmm. treat other people with respect. And I know that you don't have to be a Christian to treat people with respect. Mm -hmm. you shouldn't have to be a Christian to treat people with respect. Um, But for me, it just, it has been such, like, uh, a cornerstone, a keystone of um, what has made Crystal Cheatham, Crystal Cheatham. Mm
1: -hmm, mm -hmm. And that's valid. And I mean, and there was also a time in my life when, you know, I was still trying to operate very much within an evangelical framework of reading the Bible, and I still believed, uh, you know, basically in the evangelical doctrine of inerrancy or tried very hard to, you know, when I was a teenager. Uh, And I would try to argue because it's just, this is my personality, you know, that was so repressed Mm -hmm. by the really ugly interpretation of the Bible that I got indoctrinated in through my childhood. Um, I tried to press for more progressive readings within that evangelical subculture, that to find, uh, you know, something to support environmentalism in Genesis or uh, to find more inclusive or feminist readings. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I would get fixated on the things that I saw as problematic and troubling, Yeah. Uh, whether, th- whether that was the misogynistic passages in Paul, which maybe later interpolation's okay, um, or the contradictions between different accounts of the same thing or the God-approved genocide. Um, You know, I just, I couldn't let those things go and I couldn't find a way to stay inside ultimately that felt uh, authentic to me. But I spent a lot of time in sort of quiet desperation and not living authentically. And I was still not really living, I think, Mm. fully authentically. Like, as I would really maybe like to express myself if I just felt like it was safe to do so, but mm-hmm. I'm a lot closer, you know, than, than I, I used to be.
0: You're definitely working <laughs> your way through something, and it is a wonder <laughs> to see. Um, yeah, I, I I guess, yeah.
1: But so, I, I don't, you know, I still, there are things in the Bible that really resonate with me, as I even wrote in the first you know, 10 day series. I
0: know you quoted Psalms. I was just like, this is amazing.
1: I love it. And I was like, I love this verse, but the rest of this psalm is terrible. (laughs) It's true. I, but I do like that existential stuff, you know, Mm -hmm. um, like, but as for humankind, their days are like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it. And it is gone, and its place remembers it no more. It was really quite lovely. I
0: can't believe um, that you, the heathen, have memorized it, and I haven't. <laughs> it's <was> crazy. <laughs>
1: um, and, I, and much of the book of Ecclesiastes resonates with me. Yeah, it is really Because, cool. you know, I am that emo kid who is, like, writing, <laughs> writing poetry and thinking about death. Painting I, your nails black?
0: When, when Tell me 16. it's true. Well, I didn't paint
1: my nails black, then. But I might do it now. (laughs) Hey, we can have... (laughs) Then I couldn't have gotten away with it. Oh, there was a time in 1998 when, I think it was, yeah, it was 1998. uh, We visited my cousins and aunt and uncle who were then living in California. And for some reason, my cousin Betsy uh, was like, can I paint your toenails? And I was like, sure. So (laughs) she painted them uh, in this like dark blue color and then painted them over with uh, like every other one was dark blue and then she just painted all of them over with like this clear um, mm-hmm. glitter polish oh. so they were sparkly and um, later that summer a little bit later I was staying with my grandparents my sister I think was touring with the Young Continentals in California oh god uh, and, well then across the country <laughs> yeah
0: ah uh, the Continentals <laughs>
1: <laughs> and um, my parents I they went somewhere maybe Hawaii anyway I was living with my grandparents and I was just walking around barefoot sometimes and nobody was saying anything and I wondered if they ever would. And then finally, maybe like four days into that stay, my grandpa noticed and he said, Christopher, you look like you come straight out of San Francisco. (laughs) And they made me take it off.
0: Okay. Well, (laughs) at least he he got away
1: with it for like four days. (laughs) He also used to make me get my hair (laughs) cut. Then later that cousin... Um, you know I felt like we had kind of a connection like I felt like there was something in her too that couldn't be constrained within this fundamentalist awfulness uh, just repressive fundamentalism Mm -hmm. Um, but you know when I told her in 2004 when I was in California in grad school and she happened to be back visiting friends uh, or maybe it was 2005 but I told her that in the 2004 election I voted for John Kerry she was utterly shocked and I realized that like you know, her hipster Christianity was all just fake. It was She was just phony. Mm. Um, it didn't mean anything at mm. a deeper level of, look at me, I'm a cool rebel Christian, and I still believe all the things that all the rest of these horrible right-wing Christians are supposed to believe.
0: Mm. <laughs> that must have been really disheartening.
1: Yeah, that was disappointing. Uh, and in there, too, you know, when I'm listening to alternative music and kind of feeling like that's my secret thing and um writing poetry and thinking about death i mean i also was dealing with extreme anxiety around things like maybe calvinism is true i mean i was reading romans uh, in high school and maybe that i'm just the reprobate and that's why i'm having all these doubts and struggles maybe i'm just Mm. predestined to go to hell and then there was the time when um i again with purity culture like i tried i i vowed to god that i would stop masturbating and then I assumed,
0: God, assumed that God would give me the power to do that. And <laughs> God's like, I'm not making this easy for you. It's natural. So
1: then when I did masturbate, like when I failed after I don't know how much time exactly, I suddenly thought I'd unpardonable later. sin. Maybe I had blasphemed the Holy Spirit. And so I had this palpable lump of anxiety in my chest for like a week. It was so such hmm. severe anxiety that I was going to hell no matter what I could do.
0: Man, I'm so sorry. That's horrible.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, so ultimately looking back at all of that and finding it really abusive has it, it's alienated me from being able to like look to the Bible as something authoritative and from being able to locate myself ultimately within Christianity, though I this took a very long time and it was painful. And I tried to just like press things down and not rock the boat, quasi to simulate with my family. I and mean, we were talking about a couple decades before really starting to speak out, like almost a couple decades. I mean, I think, yeah, 2015 I was when I first published a really, you know, anti-evangelical piece that kind of went viral. Uh, I'd started publishing some things that were somewhat critical of right-wing Christianity a little bit before, like 2014, but they didn't make a splash. But that one forced all these hard conversations with my family. It was published on Religion Dispatches, And it was picked up by Salon and Alternet, so people saw it.
0: (laughs) And how did your family react to that?
1: My mom uh, was very upset. My aunt and my sister shamed me for upsetting my mom. Um, My dad was more understanding but was um, sad about it, and he tried to help kind of smooth things over. And, you know, uh, many times in my family, I mean, they use the same rhetoric. You could also make a bingo card for this. It's like I've been accused of attacking everything we stand for, because in this kind of fundamentalist evangelicalism, like you can't say like this one thing is wrong and we should change it without attacking everything we stand for. Yeah. You know, I mean, you might just even say that most Christian contemporary co- Christian music is boring, and oh, you're attacking everything we stand for.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Oh. Or Christian schools shouldn't indoctrinate children in demonstrably false things oh you're attacking everything we stand for so
0: you're like the black (laughs) sheep with glitter on top in your family
1: (laughs) kind of i mean they don't i they still as it turns out you know family is very important to them and they would prefer that i not uh say things that make them look bad but you know my story is mine and at the end of the day like they do really value family and i can see that it's you know, that trumps ideology. I mean, I'm living with my parents now. Mm-hmm. And since that time, I've had a much, um, you know, healthier relationship with my mom who respects my boundaries more now. But good. it was, you know, a hard year or year and a half or so of where sometimes things would devolve on the phone into crying or screaming.
0: It's good that that hasn't um, torn them from your life. Um yeah, I know
1: that doesn't always work out. It that doesn't way.
0: always happen, and it's few and far between where the where the family comes to their senses and realizes like the magnitude of what they may actually lose. Um, ha- you talked a lot about how religion unraveled for you, and it just didn't stick, you know. Um, and recently, you were talking about how gender seems to be unraveling for you. Do you want to talk about mm-hmm. that a little bit? I mean, because I know that when we t- we talked maybe two months ago and mm-hmm. you said this thing is, is bubbling up and I'm not sure I want to talk about it yet.
1: I mean, I don't know if unraveling is exactly a word that I would use. This is something that I talk about sometimes, but I don't feel ready to talk about a whole lot. But it's also like not exactly a secret because I have like publicly tweeted about things like this. I mean, I even tweeted a, a picture of myself in a... Pink women's TikTok with a lace collar. I totally missed that. Well, it was in the middle of a big thread, so not. That I'm not gonna that go many. look for it. Yeah. So, I hope so. not that many people <laughs> saw it. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, I I guess that I really don't. Uh, I've come to the conclusion that I don't really feel like I identify with maleness you know, Mm. or masculinity, and I realize that, I mean, I want to say that there can be positive kinds of masculinity that can be created and recovered, and, you know, I'm not, like, shaming people for being masculine. Toxic masculinity is, of course, at the heart of many of our problems in America today, and we need to burn that shit down, but, um, you know, I just, I identify in some ways more with women than men. I guess I would say that I'm trans spectrum, but I'm just really not ready to talk about it very much because I just, at this point, there's not so many realistic options in my life for Mm. doing much with that. Yes. (laughs) So I'm just trying to do what I do. And, you know, queerness is, um, a part of my life. Mm -hmm. Um, it's not the whole thing, right. And it's not the only thing that gives me meaning. Um, yeah, I definitely like to get out there to pride events and I like to do everything I can to support um, LGBTQ rights and affirmation. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I just I just am not ready to say very much about my gender because I'm just kind of stuck with not very much money and not yeah. no particular prospects for having a
0: more stable life. I don't think you're unlike many of our listeners as well who would like to exercise parts of their identity and just don't have the capital to do so, whether it's just social capital or <laughs> money, you know, but there is something to having your own space and being in command of your own, um, yeah, your own your own territory that gives you room to like be you.
1: Do I have some makeup and women's clothing in the closet? Yes. It's not really a secret. (laughs) Yes, girl. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) Um, But I, you know, I don't mess with that stuff as much also as I might. uh, Yeah. I can say
0: that, like, I've definitely, I've definitely felt like this uh, uh, gender dysphoria doesn't seem fitting, you know, for what I would say about Mm -hmm. myself, but there have been times. When I first moved to Philadelphia, um, I would ride my bike all over the city. And, Mm -hmm. you know, there were days when I would definitely hop on my bike and feel so feminine and powerful in my femininity. But then there were other days where I would put on baggy jeans and a t-shirt and wear a hat and just be ripping through the streets like, the badass I was in my head and mm-hmm. if I stopped at a light and there was a dude there who whistled or cat called and I could I, and he knew the he could f- see the femininity just like rippling mm-hmm. off of me like my hips and like all that stuff I would just get so angry not mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. he had cat called me but more so because that you know he had recognized how very feminine mm-hmm. I was, he was-
1: Gendering you
0: yes. in a way that was
1: uncomfortable.
0: Yes. You know, and it's not mm-hmm. like I had those feelings or even today or I have those feelings all the time. But sometimes it's like, I don't want to play this gender game. I just, mm-hmm. I just don't.
1: Yeah. And sometimes I think it's like kind of fluid for me as, as well. Um, and and yeah, sometimes it's just, it's frustrating because, um, you know, these we still do have some pretty um, common expectations scripts um yeah so
0: roles that we have to fit into like Mm -hmm. giant expectations that we're supposed to live up to just natural um or not natural but uh uh courtesy responses that we're supposed to give people Mm -hmm. you know like yeah Always and, having you know, to be subservient and thank you. And, sh- oh, I love it when you call me pretty. It's just like, I want to, I can't do this. I'm, st- I'm working from home today, everybody. I'm not leaving the house. I can't do it.
1: See, and for me, I hate the, like, be a man kind of stuff. And um, certain expectations that, like, certain exes of mine had, one of them tried to change the way I walk.
0: No. You
1: know? No, she did. She did. Um <laughs>
0: That's mind blowing. It's
1: just like, what? She was grabbing my hips and trying to make them move in the way that she thought a man's hips should move, and she did not ask for consent to get the do- fuck
0: out of here. With that mess. That's not right. That's not right. <laughs> Meanwhile, she's belittling you and telling you that you're not enough, and that's like yeah. it's just yeah. Hopefully, that didn't last too long.
1: I got stuck in that one for four years. That was my man. Oh,
0: my God. (laughs) (laughs) You're free now. You're free. Yeah. (laughs) You're free. Well, Chris, I think everybody knows where they can find you online. Um, (laughs) But I would love it if you let them know in case they don't know.
1: Sure. Thanks, Crystal. Um, So on Twitter, I am at C underscore Stroop, S-C-R-O-O-P my website which has a resources page for people who are deconstructing or you know there's a variety of resources there some for people who are totally secular some who are still spiritual or religious mm-hmm. uh there's even stuff there for, uh, to like links to organizations that try to work within evangelicalism to fight abuse because some people people know you know might need that mm-hmm. even though i don't fully endorse their take on things uh it's at chris where i also have my blog that i have uh called not your mission field Um, I'm rather proud of that title (laughs) and um, so yeah I have a lot of stuff there I've written a number of things for Religion Dispatches since it moved to Rewire News I haven't written anything for them yet Mm -hmm. but old Religion Dispatches site is still up you can find a lot of my published work there I published four articles in Playboy and um, you know you can find me around various places mostly (laughs) Twitter
0: Guys thanks so much for tuning in you can find more about Chris in the show notes. There are some links to his writing there. And you can find out more about me on Twitter as Crystal Cheatham or on my website. If you haven't already, please download our Bible app. Don't forget to subscribe. Each subscription is 9 dollars for the year and it really goes a long way. Okay, bye!